us have had the opportunity to watch the documentary, The Dawn Wall. But I want to encourage you in the next couple of weeks, if you have opportunity to check it out, I think it's on Netflix. There's lots of different uh, venues or ways that you can see the documentary. The story is of two mountain climbers, two rock climbers, who for most all of their career uh, climbed solo. Uh, Kevin Jorgensen, and then Tommy Caldwell. And they made the decision to come together as climbing partners to climb the impossible. That 3,000-foot rock face there in Yosemite National Park. And the documentary tells their story of their friendship that develops, their trust, uh, the highs, the lows. Literally, at times, they, they had the other's life in their hands. And it's an incredible journey. In fact, let me just give you a little spoiler alert. They make it. They climb it. They don't die, right? Uh, but it's an incredible story of these two coming together as climbing partners. And when we launched this teaching series about key relationships in our lives, I immediately thought of the documentary because there are so many similarities of those key relationships in our lives. It's those key relationships in our lives. It may be our children. It may be our spouse. It may be a brother or sister, but those key relationships in our lives that bring us the greatest joys, but also bring us the, the greatest amount of pain, the greatest amount of hurts in our lives. And so there are some, some similarities there as we think about whether it's a friendship in our life, uh, maybe a business partner, maybe our spouse. But we think about these climbing partners. One of the things that we, we learn about uh, mountain climbing and really through the documentary is that one of the climbers uh, climbs is, is to a certain uh, height and then takes a stake and drives it into the rock, into the mountain, and then secures the rope. Then the next partner comes up and then goes further up and then drives that stake. There's a term that's used in mountain climbing called belaying. And so they're belaying, they're taking turns. And, they're, and the, the, the principle of, of climbing partners is this. You can only go as high or as far as your partner. And I think that's so true in those relationships in our life. And it may be our husband, it may be our wife, it may be, a, again, a business partnership or a friendship that we're only going to go as high, we're only going to go as far as our climbing partner. And so there are some things that I want you and I to think about tonight as we think about those key relationships in our lives. And, and one of those things that I want us to think about are the obstacles, the obstacles that we kind of learn about, for example, in rock and rock climbing or mountain climbing, the, the documentary, and certainly true, we know of life and those relationships in our lives. We know that, for example, one of the obstacles that climbing partners have to deal with is what I refer to as, as speculation. Uh, it, it's, it's miscommunication or, or misunderstanding. Oh, I thought you said this. Oh, I, I thought that you meant that. So what's true in this documentary between uh, Tommy and Kevin is that if there was a misunderstanding, if there was a miscommunication about a move, if that wasn't corrected quickly, the results are devastating. And that's certainly true in a marriage. It's, it's true in a relationship. If there's a, a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, if it's not corrected quickly, there can be a lot of harm. There can be a lot of damage that's done. Sometimes, uh, in fact, there's a couple of scenes in the documentary where um, 
you can almost see on one of the guys, you can almost see it on his face that he's probably thinking, I may have picked the wrong partner. And sometimes early in a marriage, early in a, in a friendship or a relationship, I think in particular like a marriage, there's like, oh no, I may have picked the wrong one. And it's not that you picked the wrong one. It's just simply you're trying to understand how to communicate, understand how to, how, to, how to understand one another. What you actually see in the documentary is their friendship and their trust. They spent six years just studying the mountain, strategizing, making a plan. Then they went for it. And what you see in the documentary is you see that relationship and you see how they begin to communicate with one another and understand one another. I think one of the main obstacles in key relationships in our lives is how to understand one another. So that's speculation, right? There's another obstacle that, that climbing partners have to deal with and that's selfishness. Uh, because Kevin and because... Uh, Tommy were, were solo climbers for most of their life. It was, a, it was difficult for them to make the transition to not be thinking me first, but I need to start thinking first about the other person. As a matter of fact, what they, what you, what they begin to see in the, in the documentary is that when they begin putting the other person ahead, begin putting the priority on the other person and helping the other person be successful, they find themselves being successful. So one of the obstacles that they have to deal with, climbing partners, and certainly I think true in life and true in our own relationships, is overcoming that, that me-first attitude, uh, overcoming selfishness. Because we live in a selfish world. We live in a selfish culture. I mean, our culture today says, you know, look out for number one, Right? But what the Bible teaches and what the reality of, of climbing and going further in life is putting the other person first. So there's the obstacle of, of what I call speculation. There's the obstacle, uh, obstacle of, of selfishness. And then there's the obstacle of, of slip-ups. Here's what happens in climbing and what happens in, in the documentary many, many times is that one of the partners... If the partner gets distracted, if the partner loses focus, if the partner, watch this, lets go of the rope, somebody gets hurt. They get hurt bad. You not only see that multiple times in the documentary, but, but in my pastoral ministry for almost 30 years, every Thursday is when I do most of my counseling and so over the years, although I'm not a professional counselor, I, I've taken many classes and many seminars, and because I'm a pastor, people uh, want to come, come ask for guidance and for wisdom. And so uh, much of Kathy and I often do some marriage counseling together, helping other couples. And we see that. We see that, that sometimes there's, there's one in that relationship that lets go of the rope, and someone gets hurt, uh, gets hurt deeply. It's probably one of the most painful things. Uh, to be cut the deepest is to be cut by the, the one we care about the most. In fact, that's really the reason why we hurt so deeply is because we love so deeply. And um, so 
when we think about those key relationships in our lives, in particular, as we think about our marriage relationships, um, how do we overcome these obstacles? Well, the good news for you and I is that we actually have a guidebook. We actually have a guidebook that God has given us. In fact, I want to invite you tonight to take your Bible and find Matthew's gospel in chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. And really what I want to do for the little bit of time that we have left together tonight is I want to walk through some principles. We've talked about just two or three of the obstacles that, that climbing partners have to deal with. But let's talk about the principles of how you overcome those. How do you overcome those in life? And again, it may be your marriage, it may be a family member, it may be a friendship, a business relationship. But those key relationships in our lives. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. And um, if you've never been to Israel, if you've never been to the Holy Land, it's an incredible thing that uh, there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, there on the hillside, even to this day, there's kind of a natural amphitheater. Uh, and you can almost visualize Jesus standing there and thousands of people sitting there as he's speaking into their life. Um, I, I don't know if we've made this announcement yet, but uh, next October, October of 2023, we're taking a group from our three campuses to Israel. And if you've never been, I, I want to encourage you. We should be releasing the dates in the next probably week, so around the middle of October of next year. Uh, we're going to limit it to about 40. We're going to take about 40 there. If you've never been, you need to sign up and you need to go because, I mean, literally the Bible comes alive. And uh, it's an incredible thing. And um, so Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, what you and I are going to read tonight is called the Beatitudes. It comes from a Latin term uh, that means blessed, blessing. Because each of the principles that you and I are going to look at tonight, each of the Beatitudes begins with that word blessed. Blessed, Jesus says. So in the honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand with me as I read out loud? You follow along and look at your Bible or uh, on the screen. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, seeing the crowds, he, he went up on the mountain. And, and then when he sat down and his disciples came to him, not just the 12, but literally thousands sitting, listening. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated, and as we do every Sunday night, let me encourage you, if you would, to take out a, a pencil or a pen, something that you can can write with. And what I want to do just kind of very quickly is what I, I believe in so many ways what the Lord gives us here in these uh, first 10 verses are eight principles of, of climbing, of overcoming in those key relationships in your life. And I just want us to, again, very quickly kind of walk through those. First of all, notice in verse number three, the poor in spirit. Verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not talking about financial poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. 
Blessed are those who realize how spiritually bankrupt they are and how powerless they are without God's power. One of the things when I'm, when I'm reading in preparation for, for, uh, for a time of teaching like you and I are doing tonight is that I generally kind of my go-to is the, is the ESV. I'll generally look at the NASB. I look at about three or four different translations. And then sometimes even my own quiet time, I like to pull out Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's not a translation. It's more of a paraphrase. But sometimes I think it's so beautiful in how it, how it renders that particular passage of verse. And I I love how the message paraphrases verse number three here. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I love that. When you're at the end of your rope, oftentimes that is exactly where God wants you. Because it's at the, watch this, it's at the end of your rope that you find God's hope. It's, it's where you find God's power. And it could be that even some of you here tonight that you might would say that. You might would say, Alan, I'm at the end of my rope. I've discovered in my own life that God not only sometimes allows me to come to that place, but he actually guides me sometimes that I come to the end of my rope so that I cry out to him and say, God, I need you. Jesus is saying here, blessed is the one who comes to the end of their rope, who understands that they have nothing. They have no power, they have no strength, and they would totally, 100%, depend on God. It's at the end of your rope that you find God's hope. Sometimes it's going up the mountain and then falling back down away and then going back up, but that's where God wants to have you. That's where God, God moves you so that you don't hide your habits or your hangups or your hurts and that you can be fully known. In fact, I think that sometimes it's, it's where we actually start. We start at the end of our rope. Principle number one, the poor in spirit. Principle number two found in verse number four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It's that time that we're grieving, right? We're hurting. We've been cut. We've been injured. We, we, we're hurting deeply, and so we're grieving. Again, I love how the message renders verse number four. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, and only then can you be embraced by the one that is truly most dear to you. When you lose your grip on what you're holding on to, and you're hurt, you're injured, and you, you let go, then you're caught by the one who, whose arms are strong enough to truly carry you up the mountain. And marriage and family relationships cause the most, the most hurt. But there's also the place where you find the, the, greatest, the greatest healing. It's in your greatest hurt that you can find his greatest healing. It's in those close relationships that we, we hurt. And, we're, and it, by the way, I think it can't be avoided. But when you're hurt, that, that hurt is painful and will tear you apart. But it's in that that God can bring healing. And so we grieve. I, I think what I'm ultimately saying here is what I think the Bible is saying in, in those that grieve is that you and I, I believe this, that we are to embrace the hurt. 
to embrace the pain. Sometimes in a relationship, what we try to do is we try to help the person very quickly get through it, right? Uh, how, how can I help you? How can, how can I, you're hurting, how can I make you happy? Uh, Kathy and I have been married for 30 years. For the first many years, because I'm a fixer by nature, it's just kind of, how can I fix it? If, if Kathy's hurt, how, do, how can I help you? How can I make you happy? And here's what she would say to me over the years. I, I, don't, I don't need you to make me happy. I need you to get into this hurt with me. I don't need you to try to quickly rush me through the hurt. I need you to, to be in this hurt with me, to hurt with me. Blessed are those who, who grieve, who are hurting. That's where you find comfort. Now look at the third one, verse number five. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. You ought to underline that word meek there in your Bible. Generally, when we think about meekness, what do we think about? We generally, in our own minds, when someone says meek or meekness, we actually think of weakness. That person is weak. But that's really not the definition of meek or meekness. Meekness literally is strength, power, under control. Strength under control. You and I are living in a world today, we're living in a culture today, we're living in a country today where we have an epidemic of out-of-control men and out-of-control women, out-of-control ego, out-of-control lust, out-of-control anger, out-of-control selfishness that causes all kinds of problems in our culture and in our families and in our marriages. And what we need are men who are meek, who have strength under control. How, how do you know? How do you know if in a marriage relationship you have strength under control? Listen to me carefully. Here's, here's how you know. You stop trying to change the other person. And you start cherishing your spouse rather than trying to change your spouse. Now, are there changes to be made? Yes. It doesn't mean that, they, that, that there doesn't need to be change that, that needs to be made. You know, there may be lots of changes that be made, but, God, but, but here's what we understand. Only God can, can change the heart, amen? Only God can change someone. You, as much as you try, maybe even manipulation and trying to change the other person, you can't change them. Only God can change them. So stop trying to change the other person and try to cherish the other person. Create the atmosphere where they can change. And maybe there's healing that begins to take place. We live in a, a time and a culture in which people are just absolutely out of control. And God says, what does our Lord Jesus say? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the ones that have strength, but it's under control. Look at the next one, the fourth principle here in verse number six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I like how the uh, God's word translation renders this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval. God's approval. 
I don't know if this is your tendency. It is for me. I'm generally a, a people pleaser. I just want everyone else's approval. And, uh, and that can be a very difficult trap to be in. And that oftentimes you actually see that in, in relationships. The person seeking the other person's approval. Um, when, when, when I try to be a people pleaser, it, 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 uh, it causes stress in my life and great anxiety in my life. And so even in our marriage, when we have, when Kathy and I have really sought individually to, to meet God's approval and not necessarily the other person's approval, what happens is when we're both are seeking primarily God's approval, do you know what generally happens? We actually are growing closer together. Because by the way, you can't make everyone happy all the time anyway. Think about this. God can't make everyone happy all the time. If God can't make everyone happy, what makes you think you can do? And so just seek to please him. Uh, look at the fifth one there in uh, uh, the merciful, verse, um, verse number seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I believe that what he's speaking here is about forgiveness. And I think that all close relationships, all true connections, they have to be built on Forgiveness. Why is that? Because of the mountain of mistakes, because of the hurts, because of the damage, because we're sinners. We uh, have used this verse in recent weeks, but just want to remind you of it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What's the Lord saying here? The Lord's saying in those relationships in your life, especially those key relationships, Man, the foundation needs to be forgiveness. And he says, listen, who are you to withhold forgiveness when you have been forgiven so much? God who has forgiven you, who are you to withhold forgiveness? Let's talk about where forgiveness and what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I would forgive him. I would forgive her, but, I, but I'll never forget it. Well, that's not forgiveness. Um, you know, forgiveness is not, not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. By the way, let me say this. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. You can for, for, Forgiveness is not... The same as pretending like it never happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness and trust are different. In fact, this is the principle you need to understand. Forgiveness is immediate, but rebuilding trust takes place over time. Forgiveness is a decision that is followed by a process. So you can forgive someone, but it may take time before you begin rebuilding that layer of, of trust. There may be forgiveness, but then there's boundaries that are established. Forgiveness is basically this. I'm making this decision to release you from the debt that you owe me or that I owe you. Sometimes when someone hurts us, damages us, we say something like this, oh, Oh, they'll get theirs. Oh, oh, man, I, I, owe, I owe him or they owe me. Here's what forgiveness is. 
Watch this. Look up here. I release you from the debt. It's a decision. It's not forgetting. It's not pretending like, oh, we're all good again. It may be that you release the debt, but then there's a boundary. And it may take a long time to rebuild trust. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. But forgiveness, foundational in those key relationships in our life. What's interesting about these principles, Jesus, I believe, is building one on top of the other. Because the next one is, uh, is about trust. Verse number eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart, it means truth. In fact, maybe in the margin of your Bible, you may want to do as I did. I wrote the word trust. Blessed are those who step into truth, even when it's messy, even when it's difficult. Step into the truth. Don't hide in the shadows, but bring it to the light. Those who live in the truth, truth builds trust over times. Here's what I will tell you about lies. Lies destroy trust. And so in this relationship, in every relationship, I speak to whether it's friendships or in a marriage, you know what there has to be? There has to be truth. If there's no truth, then there's no trust. Remember what Jesus said? You know this. John chapter 8, verse number 32. We, we often quote this verse or we often misquote it. John chapter 8, verse number 32. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Set you free. Now watch this. He didn't say the truth will make you free. Or the truth, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth doesn't make you free. It's knowing the truth that makes you free. So in those relationships, there has to be this foundation of, of truth, living in the truth. Even when the truth is messy, we have to live and be in the truth. And then let's look at the seventh one in verse number nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Again, let me give you the, the message rendering of this. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. And that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family or maybe in your marriage or in your relationship when you come to this realization, hey, we're on the same team here. It's interesting in some of the counseling that Kathy and I do with couples, it's interesting how very quickly you kind of realize that the couple is actually competing with one another. And one of the things that we'll say is, hey, have you noticed how they're competing and I don't know why we, I don't know if they're, if they're, sometimes they're competing for attention. And so your spouse is not your enemy. Maybe, maybe your mother-in-law is, but not your spouse. And one of the things that we have to kind of realize early on is, hey, 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 you're not my enemy. Let's stop fighting. Let's stop competing with one another. We're, we need to be reminded at times that our spouse, hey, we're on the same team. In fact, if you're married and you're sitting next to your spouse, look over to your spouse and say, hey, we're on the same team. Say it. We're on the same team. One more time as a reminder. Hey, we're on the same team. Okay, very good. Just a reminder. 
We're on the same team. We're on the same team. Here's the last one. Look at verse, uh, verse number 10. Principle number eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I believe that what he's speaking here of is your commitment. Blessed are you when your commitment to God is so strong. When everything is going bad. When everything is against you. But your commitment is strong. It's the glue of the relationship. Um, Kathy and I often, often talk about this, is that there's a phrase that Kathy and I use over these 30 years, just periodically at different, different times. Sometimes it's, it's times of, of difficulty, times of stress, times of anxiety. Either Kathy will say to me or I'll say to her, hey, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. Putting in the context of the, the climbing, um, there's a part in the documentary where they get about two-thirds and they just can't go any further. And they start running low on supplies. And the temptation is to just quit. And there's a, there's a conversation that takes place. Do we quit? And there's an agreement. No, we made a commitment. Let's not, watch this, let's not cut the rope. Let's not cut the rope. I preached this message this morning at our downtown campus. And we get in the car to, to head to the Westmobile campus. And, and Kathy says, hey, we'll never cut the rope. I may hang you with the rope, but we'll <laughs> never, I'll never cut the rope. And I said, I hear you. I know, believe me, I know. I may hang you with the rope, but I'll never cut the rope. This commitment. Even when you feel like killing each other, you're stuck. When you're halfway up the mountain and you've run out of supplies, what are you going to do? That really literally was the situation in the documentary. The running out of supplies. What do we do? You know what they decided? We'll work it out. Sometimes all you have is to say, we'll work it out. Um, what happens when you have been hurt so bad when someone has let go of the rope and there's been a fall and you're so hurt and so deeply pained, what do you do? You cry out to the healer. There is one who brings healing. There is one who can bring healing to the heart and healing to the soul. And it may be for you tonight, that's what you have to do, is that you, you, may, you may be, like we said in the beginning, you may be at the end of your rope. So you cry out to the one who can catch you, one who can heal you. What about the... Uh, what about the relationship? There is one. There is one that you can cry out to. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come. So very grateful for the worship band as they lead us so faithfully every Sunday night in incredible worship.
It may be that tonight in this room you're at the end of your rope. It's okay. It's at the end of your rope that you find his hope. And you just cry out to him. Do you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that as we cry out to him in our pain, even as our mouths are forming the words, he is listening and he is acting in response. So know that God cares and know that he hears you as you cry out to him. And maybe God has brought you here or he certainly allowed it for you to come to the end of your rope. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who are hurting. Maybe a couple here tonight that maybe you just need to um, maybe remind your climbing partner hey I'll, I'll not cut the rope we're in this together we're in this together I'm going to ask a couple of our pastors to come Pastor Jerry to come Pastor David just to be available here in the front and maybe you would just like one of these guys to pray with you pray for you they would love to do that Maybe for your family. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe there's a son or a daughter. Maybe the hurt that you have tonight is over a son. It's over, over a daughter. Gosh, we'd love to pray for you. Pray for your family. Maybe you might would just kneel and pray right where you are. Your, your chair can become an altar and you can just pray right where you are. But in these next moments, I pray that this room would be filled with praise and prayer in prayer. I know it's uh, Father's Day and maybe just as uh, as a dad maybe just taking your wife by the hand and maybe praying for your children your sons and daughters. Stand with me as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, in these next moments I do pray that this room would be filled with praise and with prayer. I thank you for Pastor David and our friendship and for Jared, Lord, his leadership and his heart for, for students. And God, I know that they're prayer warriors and, and they would love to pray over couples or families. And God, there just may be some couples here tonight. They just need to lift up a prayer. There may be someone here tonight who is at the end of their rope. I pray they find your hope. I pray they find your power. And your strength. So hear us. Hear us in these moments, Lord. In Jesus' name.